0: In this episode of Paid by the Word, Mike interviews Elisa Wood, an energy writer and chief editor at Microgrid Knowledge. Here's a snippet from their conversation.
1: Oh, don't be afraid to check back in in three months or six months or or nine months, because maybe the editor didn't need the work or was really overwhelmed at that moment when you're contacting them and just, you know, didn't have really time to look at your work or just didn't need a writer at that moment. But three months later, things can change dramatically. What you said is absolutely right, luck, timing, you know, it it may be that they, they do need somebody. So I actually appreciate it when people check back in with me, because I may forget, you know, that they And then then the timing is right, and it's really valuable that they, they check back in again. Well, hello there, and welcome to Paid by the Word, a podcast featuring conversations with professional writers and editors. If you are curious about what goes on in the minds of people who write and edit for a living, this podcast is for you. Thanks,
0: Zoe i'm mike barlow your host and moderator in this episode our guest is elisa wood elisa is an award-winning writer and editor who specializes in covering the energy industry she is chief editor and co-founder of microgrid knowledge and she serves as co-host of the publication's popular conference series elisa has been writing about energy for more than two decades and is published widely her work can be found in prominent energy business journals as well as in mainstream publications She's been quoted by NPR, The Wall Street Journal, and other notable media outlets. A quick word about microgrids before we begin. Maybe you've heard or read about them, and maybe you haven't. Here's what I think about microgrids. Remember how mobile phones profoundly changed how we communicate and share information with each other? Microgrids will radically disrupt and transform how energy is generated and distributed, and they will help us move forward much more rapidly into a world in which oil and gas are no longer the dominant fuels we use to generate electricity. All right, with that said, here are the highlights of my conversation with Elisa Wood. You are both a writer and an editor. Both roles require mindfulness, attentiveness, and creativity, so what's the best way to describe the difference between writing and editing, and how do you manage to do both?
1: That's a great question. Um, first off, I want to say that I think that writing is much more difficult than editing is. Um, I've been writing now for over 30 years, and I still um, have the panic of the blank page, or these days, panic of the blank screen. Uh, every time I start something new, it feels like you know the first time. <laughs> so um, I think it's much harder. I think it takes much more attention um, to write than it does to edit. Um, I would say I enjoy editing more um, because editing is the, you know, it's like you're, you're, you're refining your, are you haven't cooked the dinner, but you're putting on the garnishes and making the plate look pretty. So um, in that respect, I think um, it's, it's more enjoyable. Um, It takes uh, both of them take, and especially in our field, we write about energy. So it's, 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 It's a field that requires um, a lot of thought and and depth of understanding and um, some some technical expertise. So um, in either case, I think you really have to focus hard on making sure that you're being logical and more importantly, that you are being clear because it's really easy to get caught up in jargon. Um, and I think that's probably one of my biggest jobs as, as an editor is to make sure that the, the writer hasn't gotten lost in the jargon. And also that um, we really are clearly conveying our message to the reader. So um, I guess that's, to me, the difference between the two jobs.
0: So Elisa, you've been writing about energy for quite a while. What, what drew you to that field? What's the attraction?
1: I love writing about energy because it touches on the whole world, you know, energy, especially now, but even before now, um, affects the entire economy, it affects the way people live. Um, You can tell many stories through energy, like, for instance, at Microgrid Knowledge, um, here we are writing about this, you know, technology called a microgrid, but we get to tell great stories, like about people who are in Africa or India and, and, you know, don't have power and they're getting it for the first time and as a result, they're you know, developing um, whole new economies, local economies in their villages, or we get to write about, you know, what Google is doing with its latest um, green technologies. So there's just this kind of, you can touch on all aspects, all ranges of the world when you're writing about energy.
0: It's become a cliche to write that today, every company is a technology company. Uh, Pretty soon, we'll be writing that every company is an energy company. Tesla, for example, is an energy company masquerading as a car company. That's my take on Tesla. And I think that Elon Musk would agree.
1: Yeah, Tesla is an energy company, actually. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. uh, in fact, I think I think pretty much every automotive company is going to have to be an energy company very soon um, as we electrify the transportation fleet. And that, to me, is one of the most exciting things ha- that's happening in energy right now, is the fact that we're taking – um, we're taking liquid fuels, we're taking oil, that whole massive industry, which has caused us a lot of pain as a society, as a world. And we are gradually transitioning out of that into electricity as the primary fuel for transportation. It's a massive change in market when you think about it. I mean, it's tremendous, but it's also a massive change in society. We, you know, you and I are of the age where we've seen a lot happen in the Middle East because of oil <laughs> and um uh, so it's 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 really exciting to um, to see those kind of changes happening.
0: Oh, I'm so glad you mentioned the importance of electrifying our transportation fleets. From my perspective, electrification is a key component in the battle to moderate the worst effects of climate change. The, the sooner we can electrify our cars, trucks, buses, and taxis, the better off we'll all be. We can save the planet, and electrification is a great way of battling some of the most dangerous effects of climate change.
1: That's right. That's right. And that's the other thing about, about writing about energy, especially at this time, is, is you really, I, I guess you do have a sense of mission because you really feel like you're, you're helping the world in so many ways. Um, you know, carbon being, of course, one, one of the major ones, You know, creating more sustainability. Um, but also, I think what really excites me, in addition to that, is the fact that um, energy is becoming smaller and lo- people are able to control it more locally. Yeah, so the it's individual being- is able to control it more locally. And yeah, yeah and, and I think um, that's kind of what got us excited about microgrids. One of the things that got us excited about microgrids, you know, you hear the term, and a lot of people really like the term microgrid. Um, there's an interesting organization called the Civil Institute Society that's been doing some research, some polling on microgrids. They, they choose different topics to tackle, and they take them on for a couple of years. And um, they did renewables a few years ago and now they're doing microgrids, where they're doing a lot of polling and they kind of, kind of trying to get a sense of the um, um, political um, kind of where, where the resource stands politically. Um, and they found that it's, it's, it's liked by both sides for different reasons, right and left. Um, but they also found interestingly, that just saying the name, people liked the name. They didn't even know what it was. They just kind of had a favorable reaction. And I was thinking about that and I really think it's because um you know the name grid. Grid. We know everybody knows what the grid is. It's this kind of big amorphous thing out there that that brings us electricity, and we don't really have any control over it, but we do need it. Um, and sometimes we're very angry with it because it goes out. Um, and then the term micro suggests that it's sort of coming home like a microcomputer or, you know, something something small that we can control and that suddenly is part of our lives, not not controlled by out there. So I think that's part, part of the sense. So that's another thing that excites me about writing about energy. We sort of, we can dive into these kind of sociological trends too.
0: Yeah, that's a very apt analogy uh, between, in the old days, computers were the size of a house and you had to be, uh, you know, NASA or the government to own one. Now we all have our own microcomputers. And I would imagine in, that in the future, Actually, I can foresee in the future we will all be our own providers and and um, and generators of electricity, not just consumers.
1: Right. that's right. It'll be cool. you as a, as a power plant, basically.
0: Yeah, and it's going to be <laughs> it's the democratization of energy, and that is that's very exciting. I feel as though we're we're not just writing about technology; we're writing about uh, you know the dawn of a new era and the dawn of a new culture. That's my hope, at any rate. So, uh, no, I, I think it's true. Yeah, Elisa, tell us briefly about your career path and how did you become the writer and editor that you are today?
1: Ah, yeah. Um, so I um, worked for a newspaper, a couple of newspapers in my 20s when I was first out of college, um, daily newspapers. And I started thinking that I really needed to specialize in something because it seemed like the writers who had the most success had a specialty. And I was kind of looking around and I was doing some education writing at the time and I was interested in that. Um, but then, you know, it's, it's a who you know world, right? I had a very good friend who was an energy writer, and um, she told me about a job opening at McGraw-Hill. Um, at that time, McGraw-Hill had uh, just started up uh, a couple of energy newsletters, which eventually became 54 energy newsletters, um, and they were looking for people, and they were open to training them, because um, I didn't know much about energy at the time. And um, so I started to work for them and I actually worked for them um, until into, God, that was about uh, six, seven years ago and and McGraw-Hill changed, McGraw-Hill became Platts, McGraw-Hill Platts, and then it became S&P. So so that was my training ground. And I also freelanced for other publications as well, like Renewable Energy World and um, different ones that were out there, Um, AOL Energy for the time that that existed. Um, and, um, then, uh, around 2014, I received an email from my current business partner, Kevin Normando and didn't know him, but he had read something I had written. And he said that he was, um, he had just sold a company. He had a data center publication and he was interested in moving into the energy arena. So we started talking and, um, eventually we formed a publication called energy efficiency markets which focused on energy efficiency. And um, so um, that was a great publication, but it just wasn't getting much traction in terms of advertisers. Uh, so we, we started saying, oh, this isn't really this isn't working. But we did notice that every time we wrote about microgrids that the readership went way up because we were tracking it on Google Analytics. I mean, like spiked. <laughs> and so then we said, hmm, let's look a little more carefully at this. And we started talking to some of the companies that were involved. They were in their early early days of of working uh, on microgrids, and um, and we we saw that there was a real market beginning to emerge and a lot of potential there. So we started microgrid knowledge, and um, first year or two it was tough. I mean, it's really hard getting these kind of sites going. It's it's not easy at all. Um, but then it started to take off, and um, it's doing quite well right now.
0: Oh, that's fantastic! I, yeah, I love hearing uh, I love hearing success stories like that that are built on uh, on content. Um, or, and it was specifically yeah. editorial content. That's fantastic. Um, the, so which, uh, speaking of editorial, uh, Elisa, which professional habits do you find especially helpful?
1: Um, so I find that <clears throat> I'm an early riser and I think it's really important to do sort of what's, hardest, what takes the most attention first thing in the morning. So I try to just set mornings aside for writing uh, when I'm fresh and you know, the ideas are flowing. And in um, the afternoons for phone calls and interviews like this and, and, and other kind of detailed work. I find that keeping that kind of schedule is really helpful. Um, I also find it's really important to not work. That's almost as important as working. Um, when you work at home, as, as we do, it's easy to just work all the time. And it's really easy to get burned out, and so um, I really try to be disciplined. So, so my kind of outlets are yoga and hiking, and I really try to be disciplined about doing those things. I mean, really, almost treating them like like you know work in the sense that you know I have to do it. It's not something like it's, it's not recreation. I have to do that, and uh, I find that makes a big, big difference to, to stick to those kind of schedules. So, yeah. So, I, I guess my 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 primary habit is is sticking to a schedule. I think I, re- I read somewhere. Um, can't remember what writer it was it might have been Mary Oliver who said that um the, the trick to writing is just to sit in your sit in your seat and do it and I think you know that, that's it you just have to do it it's easy like Hemingway Hemingway said instead to just go clean your refrigerator
0: <laughs> <laughs> good good no, that's the perfect uh that that's a perfect response it's this is one of my favorite uh questions by the way because it always uh, it always elicits slightly different answers and um and, of course, we're all in search of uh, of the professional habits that become, um, you know, the characteristics and traits of our lives uh, as writers. Uh, so which writers do you turn to for inspiration?
1: So in terms of journalism, I really like David Roberts. He's over at Vox, B-O-X, Vox, not F-O-X. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and um, <clears throat> he, um, I like David because he, he's, of course, Vox is a, you know, a a publication that attracts a general audience, not an energy audience like we have. So he has to write very broadly. But he takes on really um, tough energy topics. And he translates them really well to a popular audience. So he's he's one of my favorites. and I just get excited when I when I read his his articles, because I, you know, I, I can he clearly shows how these technologies are changing the world. So that's exciting. Um, I like Michael Lewis a lot. I love The Big Short, one of my favorite books. Um, I liked his early some of his early work, like Next. Um, and then I, I read a lot of fiction. So, and I find I find fiction to be really inspiring and really sort of healthy for a, a, a journalist to, to to read because I think we can really get kind of caught up, caught up in our jargon and our journalistic style. And if you read fiction, it kind of shakes it up a little bit and um, helps you um, not get stuck in patterns. And and my favorite. Um, Fiction writers are – I really like um, Margaret Atwood. Um, Oh, something I left out, too, who's a a big inspiration to me is Mary Carr. um, She writes memoirs. She's great. Um, So those are are my people and and lots of others, too, but those are some of the main ones.
0: That's wonderful. Actually, my daughter got me a copy of the new Beowulf translation uh, by by Maria Headley, and it is terrific. Um, It's just uh, (laughs) – It's amazing. I wound up. Uh, I, so I was sitting around two nights ago, and I just started reading it, and then I found myself reading it al- aloud.
1: <laughs>
0: In you know, and then and then waiting for the rest of my family to come down and go. All right, Dad, we shut up.
1: Talk to yourself again? Yeah, exactly.
0: All right, and now back to the podcast. Um, so, Elisa, can you tolerate noise when you work, or do you need a quiet place? Or do you need a oh quiet God, place? I'm just going to ask no. that question one more time. I'm sorry.
1: No, Lisa. no, no. I don't need a quiet place. <laughs> you don't no. need a quiet place. Good, good, good. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, I am, um, or well, A, I have a dog and two cats, two cats that like to talk a lot, and a dog that doesn't like UPS. Um, and B, I have, you know, been working at home for years, and my children were once young and, you know, playing and running and having their kid their friends in the house and, you know, and I just developed an ability to work without um, being bothered by noise. How about you? Can you, can you work with,
0: with noise? Are you- uh, it depends. Um, the, um, there's, uh, so I live in, uh, in, a, uh, in a suburb of Connecticut uh, where suddenly the new thing is taking care of your landscaping. Um, <laughs> and it's like, so I'm just surrounded by leaf blowers. And sometimes they uh, drive me crazy um mm. but uh usually but i also tend to write in bursts so um so my you know i'm i'm very focused while i'm writing and and if i and if i am interrupted it's usually not you know at the end of the world
1: but, so i live in rural virginia and, and there are some leaf blowers but more likely there are guns going off especially right now because oh. this is hunting
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Well, it's better. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I grew up in Newark. <laughs> I grew up in Newark, New Jersey. So that's uh, <laughs> it's a whole. That's a whole other. Um, the, um, okay, so we're almost done. <laughs> so, Elisa, what brings you the greatest joy as a writer?
1: Finishing something. <laughs>
0: I'm sorry. Oh, finishing something. Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> That's good. Yes.
0: That's, uh, the, uh, you, but uh, No, you know, it's funny because, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Go on, go on.
1: I was going to say, I mean, you know, um, obviously when I get an email from somebody and they're asking me questions that show they've really read it, understand it and had meaning to them, um, I would say that's, that's a great joy, you know, anytime reader, reader feedback is a great joy. Cause it's a pretty lonely profession that we're in and, you know, you kind of send this thing out into the void and you wonder, is anybody reading it? Are they liking it? Are they understanding it? And, um, and so when, when people do interact, I think that's, that's a great joy for me.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. And it's, uh, it's, it's, very true. Uh, you know, we don't need a lot of, uh, of, of feedback, but the, the little bits of it that we get are, are good um just say
1: somebody saying we're out here <laughs> we're out here our readers are out here you know <laughs> yes
0: yes and that uh and it is true you can always tell when someone has actually read y- your stuff as a as opposed to because usually they'll start arguing with you uh yeah. when i <laughs> so was a newspaper reporter but actually the funniest thing when i was a newspaper reporter was that they would always object to the the title of the story and i never knew what they were talking about of course they meant the headline Uh, you know i i liked your story mike but the title was kind of weird and then i had to explain that i don't write the titles uh said, what what kind of newspaper do you have I said, no newspaper that's allows its reporters to write the titles or at least that was back in the 70s we
1: would be rich for the number of times we've had to explain that we do not write the headline
0: (laughs) 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 it's true that and uh that and the whole thing where well, my, what I do miss a little bit is, you know, I'd be covering a fire or a murder or something like that. And I'd have my little book, you know, my little uh, notebook that said press on it. And then I had a little card that said press, you know, and it tags. And I was usually with a photographer that was fully festooned with things that said press. And I'd be interviewing someone and they'd go, oh, why are you writing this down? Are you going to put that in the paper? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's a yeah, that's back. how it
0: yeah. yeah as a matter yeah. of fact yes yeah. okay here we are so elisa uh, what advice do you have for writers what's the best way to approach an editor and and what's the worst way
1: yeah that's a good question um i'm in such a specialized field that for me it's you know you, people need to let me know they understand the field because i hear a lot from writers who would like to write for us and they're good writers but because they don't you know know the field um, at least to some degree, you know, the language, um, you know, we can't really hire them. Um, but I would say the best way to approach an editor is, you know, to just, you know, as you would approach anybody, you know, tell them who you are, you know, and um, send a couple of samples of your writing, tell them who you've worked for, um, make sure that there's, try not to have typos in your, you know, in your email, if you possibly can. We all have typos in our email sometimes, but um you know, sometimes it's just kind of a signal that maybe somebody's not really paying attention or caring. Um, but, yeah, I would just say, you know, approach them as you would approach anybody. Be yourself and tell them who you are and be friendly and, um, and, and show them your work. And if there's a fit, there's a fit. And if there's not, there's not. I mean, it's just um, it's, it's the way it is. Um, I think I think more likely people are rejected because the fit isn't right, not because their work isn't good.
0: That's really great. That's a great insight, actually. And uh, that's what I, I do tell younger writers that uh, so much of this depends on luck, you know, if the editor is looking for a piece, and you uh, have something similar in your portfolio, then there's a then there's a better chance you're going to get that you're going to be hired that then there's a fit. Uh, but if you don't get hired, it's not necessarily a sign that you don't have any talent. It's just that the editor wasn't buying what at that particular moment what you were
1: selling. That's a really good point, and I think also um, don't be afraid to come back and check in every six months or three months or whatever, because sorry about that. Um, so I have this problem that everything is connected. So if the phone rings, my watch rings, and yes. my computer rings.
0: I, I know mine's been doing it the same. Would you just just say that again? Uh, don't be afraid to come back.
1: Oh, don't be afraid to check back in in three months or six months or, or nine months because maybe the editor didn't need the work or was really overwhelmed at that moment when you were contacting them and just you know d- didn't have really time to look at your work or just didn't need a writer at that moment. But three months later, things can change dramatically what you said is absolutely right, luck, timing, you know, it, it may be that they, they do need somebody. So I actually appreciate it when people check back in with me because I may forget, you know, that they, and then, then the timing is right. And it's really valuable that they, they check back in again.
0: To know that uh, just because you've been rejected once doesn't mean you should, you know, go away and uh, become Emily Dickinson. Not that there's anything wrong with being Emily Dickinson, <laughs> but... Uh, but there's life after that. Uh, there's life after rejection.
1: Right. And it
0: is a little bit like selling. You just have to keep going back and uh, coming up with a new with a fresh pitch.
1: I think the other trick for new writers is is really to look at what fields are looking for writers. I think a lot of us come out of school and we've kind of starry eyed about what we want to write about. We think that the approach is to choose what you want to write about and then go for it. Truth of the matter is, um, there may not be a market for what you want to write about. So the best thing to do is to see what's out there, see where the needs are. And you may find you actually really enjoy it. I never in a million years would have thought that I was going to be writing about energy, you know, back in the day when I was in college or even when I was a newspaper reporter. But I love it now. So um, I would say be open to exploring new topics.
0: That's a really, really uh, fantastic insight. And, and again, a great piece of advice. And young writers, please... Uh, Please rewind this part and listen to uh, Elisa saying that over and over again, because uh, the thing is, people always ask me, well, how do you choose your topics or how do you choose what to write about? And I say, you know, most of the time, if I'm lucky, an editor tells me what to write about.
1: Right,
0: exactly. Then I'm totally cool. Mm -hmm. If someone is willing to pay me to write about, uh, you know, uh, renewable energy sources, I'm going to write about renewable energy sources. And I'll be happy, too. It's not, you know, there's nothing bad about that.
1: Yep, yep. You learn a lot. It's a great experience because it's it's a constant learning experience. You
0: know? Yeah, it is. It oh. keeps us uh, keeps our brains young. Well, Elisa, this has been this has been terrific, and and I really appreciate your time. I look forward to uh, you know I'm a uh, subscriber to uh, to microgrid knowledge and a big fan of yours. So uh, so you've already I've already drank the Kool Aid, the microgrid Kool Aid, and uh, and I am convinced that microgrids are going to lead us into a, a far better uh, by by two by 2050. Uh, the democratization of energy will be well underway and, um, and we're going to be in a much better world, I hope, knock on wood.
1: I think you're right. I agree with you completely. And thank you, Mike. Really enjoyed this. Always enjoy working with you and um, appreciate everything you do.
0: Thank you. I always enjoy my conversations with Elisa. She's fun to work with and I always learn something from her. I think the advice she offered about reconnecting with editors is super valuable and very
1: practical. Okay, until next time, cheers and good health. That wraps up another episode of Paid by the Word, a podcast featuring conversations with writers, editors, and media professionals. We are grateful for your attention, and we wish you all the very best. Stay safe and be well. Bye-bye.